Well, good morning to all of you at Calvary Satterton, and a special good morning to all of you Calvary Quakertown. We're glad that you've joined us this morning. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling Continuing What Jesus Started, and we're doing this series to remind us that we're on a mission here, and that mission is not to accumulate as much as we can. That mission is not maximum pleasure. That mission is not to become as attractive or maintain your attractiveness either humanly or surgically. That's not our mission. Our mission is to continue what Jesus started. And that necessitates knowing what Jesus started and knowing what it looks like to continue that. We actually printed little stickers that uh, if you didn't get one last week or the week before, you can pick one up on the way out in the next step space or at the hub. And you can have that. But here's what, what we're encouraging everybody to do. The sticker says, continuing what Jesus started, CWJS, and we're asking you to carry it around in your pocket, in your wallet, in your purse, in your Bible, somewhere. Carry it with you. And when you come to the point where you're accepting that mission as your mission, you can then stick it somewhere. You can stick it on your iPad, not on the front of your iPad, on the back of your iPad. You can put it on your computer. You can put it on your bumper. Just don't put it on somebody else's bumper. You can buy a magnet and put it on there and put it somewhere you can take it off. The point is, put this sticker somewhere that you'll often see it. And you can be reminded then, hey, I'm on a mission here. And the mission is not about me. The mission is about what Jesus started. And I need to be continuing that. You know, but as you think about that, we immediately come upon a problem. And let me explain the problem this way. No one was closer to God than Jesus. You agree? I mean, nobody was. After all, Jesus said, the Father and I are one. I mean, how much closer do you get? So Jesus is closer to God than anybody who ever lived. But here was the amazing thing. The people that were furthest from God, they wanted to be close to Jesus. That's incredible, right? So Jesus is the closest human being that ever lived as far as proximity to God. And the people that were furthest from God wanted to be close to Jesus. And the people that thought they were close to God, the people that had lots of rules and regulations that kind of cut their teeth on all kinds of religious stuff, they thought they were close to God, but they wanted to be as far away as possible from Jesus. In fact, they're the ones that got together and decided they were going to take Jesus out. And in fact, if you read the book of Acts, where you discover what the early church was about, you discover the same dynamic. As that early church lived in closeness to God, the people that were far from God wanted to be part of that first church community. And the people that were really religious, they wanted to do away with that community and be as far away as they could. So what the heck happened? In our day... Do people that are furthest from God want to hang out with church people? If Jesus were to show up today, we often think that all the religious people would kind of run to him and the people that are furthest from God would flock far away. But that's not true. So what happened? Maybe we're not doing such a great job at continuing what Jesus started. And that's why we're doing this series. And we're actually looking at the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or your iPad or whatever, you can turn to 2 Timothy. And I'm going to remind you of a couple of verses as we get started. 
I'm going to reread the beginning couple of verses, and then we're going to read near the end of the letter, and we're going to see if we can tease out some principles about continuing what Jesus started from learning about a few of the people that are addressed and written about in the letter. Now, kind of our theme verse for the series is 2 Timothy 2.2, and that verse goes something like this. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those things to reliable people who will then be qualified to teach others also. So we often use the metaphor of a relay race, right? So here's Paul. He receives from Jesus these things that are mentioned there. He then runs his race, and as we mentioned last week, he hands them off to Timothy. And Timothy gets them. Timothy lived in a town called Lystra. Timothy gets the things from Paul, and then Timothy runs with them. And Paul writes this letter saying, now remember, Timothy, get those things from me. Run really, really well, but be sure to pass them along to reliable people. And then when the reliable people get the things, they need to run well and pass them on to others also. See, there are four legs in the race. Paul to Timothy, reliable people, others also. Well, that raises the question then. What are the these things? Like, what are the things that Paul received from Jesus And what are the things that he then passed to Timothy? And what are the things that Timothy was to give to reliable people? And what are the things that then the reliable people are to tell others? What are the things? I'm glad you asked. In fact, in the letter, Paul mentions the things often. Here's a summary statement right from chapter 1. Here's what he says. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David, This is my gospel. What are the things? The things are the things of the gospel. Now, the word gospel sounds like a real religious word. The word gospel just means good news. So Paul says, hey, Timothy, remember the good news that Jesus gave me, and I gave you that good news, and you give that good news to reliable people, and those reliable people are to give that good news to other people. Well, what is the good news then? Well, there are lots of ways for us to tease that out. And we could literally take a lifetime teasing out the nuances of the gospel and all that it means, but we're going to look at a few of the big things, the big themes of the gospel this morning, and maybe we can figure out why people that were far from God wanted to be close to Jesus, and maybe we can begin to continue some of that in our world. Now, if you have your Bibles or your phone or your iPad, Let's read the first couple of verses again to remind us of some of the players. Paul's writing the letter, and here's what he writes. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, that's that good news again, to Timothy, my dear son. Now, that doesn't mean that that Paul was Timothy's daddy. That's not what that means. It means that Paul is Timothy's spiritual father, right? When Paul came to Lystra and shared the good news, Timothy said, hey, I want some of that. And Timothy becomes a follower of Jesus because Paul transitioned that, these things to him. Now turn over to the end. Turn over to the end of the letter. And I'm going to begin reading in chapter 4, verse 9. And we're going to learn a few more names about some characters that you may have heard of before but you're going to need to know some of these people in order to understand how we can continue what Jesus started. So verse 9 of chapter 4. Paul writing to Timothy again, right? Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia 
and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Greet Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Now, we don't know a whole lot about any of those guys. We do know a few things about some of them, but we're going to need to know a little more in order to understand the main things that make up the these things that Paul received and is passing on and Timothy needs to pass on. Now, we're going to do that under three heads. And the first of those heads is acceptance. If you want to understand the good news, you need to understand something about acceptance. Now, you already know a little bit about acceptance across boundaries because you know Paul and Timothy. Now, remember, Paul grew up as a rule-obeying, knowing Jewish guy who became a Pharisee, an expert in Jewish rules and regulations. Paul not only knew the rules, he kept the rules. He jumped through all the hoops. He was a rule fanatic. He was good at it, rose through the ranks, and becomes a honcho of rule-keeping. Eventually, he's so committed to the rules of Judaism, he becomes a persecutor of Christians. When Jesus shows up and Paul perceives that he's teaching a message different and the church is teaching something, something different than the rules, Paul sets his sights on destroying that new community. So he arrests Christians, brings them in, tries them, and he's part of the execution squad. And yet Paul, the persecutor, is accepted as part of the community. Well, how about Timothy? Well, Timothy, remember, his father was Greek and his mother was Jewish. That means he comes from a situation where he doesn't fit in. In fact, it's easy to see that a lot of his insecurity and his inability to kind of function with confidence comes because he never fit in. He's not really Greek, and so he couldn't play with the Greek kids, and he's not really Jewish, so he wouldn't let him play with the Jewish kids. He was never accepted anywhere. And so here's Paul, confident and religious, a persecutor of Christians. He's welcomed into the community. And here's Timothy, a Jewish Greek kid, welcomed into the community. Oh, yeah, did you pick up a couple of the other names? How about Mark? Remember, did you read that name, Mark, at the end? I read it. You maybe you weren't listening. Mark. Now, Mark, that Mark, John Mark, is the author of the Gospel of Mark. And here's what, what we learn about Mark. Mark travels with Paul on his first missionary journey. So they go to the island of Cyprus. They kind of do a little mission work there. As soon as they get back to the mainland and Mark can walk home, Mark deserts the team and goes back to mommy. Now, we don't know why he left, but I'm guessing it was something to do with mama, right? It's, the going's getting a little tough. It's getting a little hot in the kitchen. Mark bails. He goes back. In fact, the split is so severe that when they're ready to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas, who traveled on the first missionary journey with Paul, Barnabas said, hey, Paul, I'll go get Mark. Paul says, don't bother. He said, no, 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 I really want Mark to go. Mark's not coming. And Barnabas and Paul have such a fallout that they never work together again. That's pretty sad. But did you read what I read at the end of 2 Timothy? At the end of Paul's life, he writes to Timothy and says, hey, Timothy, I want you to bring Mark when you come because he's helpful to me. You see, even deserters are accepted in this community. It's incredible, right? And so you get persecutors accepted. 
You get insecure Greeks and Jews accepted. And you even get guys that bail on the mission God gives them. They're accepted too. And then you get Luke. Luke's a Gentile. He's a physician. He's super intelligent. He went to all the right schools. And he's accepted into the community. The community is vast and it's broad and it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't, know, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Jesus says, I want you to be part of my community. But there's a problem. Now, don't misunderstand. We were built for community, right? Human beings were not built to live life or go it alone. We're built for community. In fact, part of what the Bible means when it says we're made in the image of God is that we're built for community. God is a father-son spirit, right? One God, three, we don't know how that works, but three in one. God is an eternal community, and he creates us in his image, and we're not really complete until we're in community with other people and with God. That's the good side. But then you add the sinful twist to it. And the sinful twist is, once we're in, we're striving and dying for community, right? But once you're in community, we quickly become us and them. Has that ever happened to you? Us and them. There's an us and there's a them. And obviously the us is a whole lot better than the them. Isn't that right? And so I know that in your world, there's a whole lot of us's and them's. They're Republicans and Democrats. They're Eagles fans. And Eagles fans have a humble, godly quarterback named Carson Wentz. And then you have Despicable Giants fans. And the Giants fans have lying, the lying thief Eli as their quarterback, right? It's, it's kind of a godly thing. See how that works? And then there are country music fans and there are rock music fans. And there are boomers and there are millennials. And there are PC users, which are godly, and Mac users, which I'm not sure what that is. And there are Twitter users and Snapshot users, or Snapchat users. Then there are people that use an iPhone. And Samsung users that have burn marks on their thigh. <laughs> there are Presbyterians and Baptists. There are people that are black and white and Asian. There are people that are rich, middle class, and poor. And we quickly take that us and them, and here's what happens. Because of that sinful bent, we make everybody in the us group better than everybody in the them group. And it doesn't matter which us group you're in, everybody does it. It becomes an us and a them. And we then weight the us's as better than the them's all the time. In fact, there was a study done, a real study was done. They took a collection of boys, young boys, I think they were junior high school. They separated the boys into two groups by flipping a coin, the heads group and the tails group. So completely random separation. Within a matter of hours, the two groups thought that their group was better looking, smarter, more athletic, more attractive, and better than the other group. They were separated randomly. No, you women are sitting there just like boys. That's how boys are. Women are worse. I don't know if they're worse, but everybody knows boys are better than girls, and so I figured they're worse. You see, how it's an us and a them deal, right? Well, what's the solution to the us and them problem? The solution is the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. And this gospel takes persecuting Pharisees, Greek, Jewish kids from a mixed household, physicians that are well-educated, and deserters like Mark, and says, 
What do you say we get together and have a community? That's great, right? The solution is the gospel. Naturally, we move toward the us and the them. Only the gospel is powerful enough to break down those barriers. And so I made a list of people that we welcome here at Calvary Church. If we're a church of accept, if we're going to continue what Jesus started, and if those that are furthest from God were kind of wanting to get close to Jesus, and we're going to continue what Jesus started, then we need to be an accepting, welcoming community. So here's the list of people that are welcome at Calvary Church. And if you don't like the list, well, I don't know what to say then. Here we go. Believers and unbelievers are welcome here. Skeptics, Republicans and Democrats. Young people and old people. People in suits and people in jeans. People with wrinkled skin and people with tattooed skin. People with wrinkled skin and tattooed skin. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> people of every skin color. Respectable people and shady people. Addicted people and messed up people. Gay people and straight people. Skeptics. Skeptical people, Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and Jews and married people and single people and divorced people and confused people and confident people, on behalf of the leadership and the staff of Calvary Church, I say welcome to you. And I don't say that because I feel comfortable. I say that because we want to continue what Jesus started. And you look at the group of people that he hung out with. The group of people that Jesus hung out with make that, makes that list look pale in comparison and, in, and shallow. Jesus says, everybody's welcome in my kingdom. Everybody's welcome. Deserters like Mark. Physicians like Luke. Pharisaical hypocrites like Paul. And people that grew up in mixed families like Timothy. They're all welcomed. Now that's only the first part. Jesus doesn't leave alone what he brings in, but that's step one, acceptance. Well, the second thing is flawed. Everybody in the community is kind of flawed. Now, I do have to tell you, I, I didn't want to use a negative word. Sometimes people, Charles, you use such bad language. Well, that's not a bad word. So I, I went on a thesaurus search. So if you don't like flawed, how about some of these words? Putrid, offensive, corrupt. Warped, screwed up, rank. You get the idea? Um, that's what everybody is. Have you ever been in a situation where obviously everybody in the group is better than you? Uh, Megan and I were in California for a wedding a couple of years ago, and she wanted to stop at Muscle Beach. <laughs> Megan didn't fit in. I fit in pretty well. But you know, <laughs> Megan really felt out of place there, right? Were you ever in a group with people that are obviously all geniuses, right? You can't even understand what they're talking, and you just know you're out of place, right? Or maybe people are talking about building stuff or fixing stuff, and you immediately don't want to be with that. That clearly is a them group and not an us group. See how that works? Well, you know, there's one area of life where every one of us are suboptimal, and that's when it comes to morality, that's when it comes to righteousness, because we're all flawed, we're all putrid, we're all offensive, we're corrupt, we're warped, we're screwed up and ranked. That's what we are. Look at the group of people that I, we only did a, sm a small spattering in 2 Timothy. Check out the group. Paul was an executor of Christians. Timothy lived a timid life where he was insecure and not standing up for what was right or wrong. 
Mark deserted the team. Demas leaves the mission and says, I don't want to continue what Jesus started. I want to live for myself. Look at the team of people that are mentioned in the letter. That's our group. That's us. Everybody's flawed. And if you don't admit your flaws, you can't come. You see, it isn't that your flaws will keep you from coming. Not admitting your flaws will keep you from coming. That's what Jesus says over and over and over again. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a little sticker for you, right, continuing what Jesus started. You know, before Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had a bumper sticker too. Here was Paul's bumper sticker. SWJF. Stopping what Jesus started. That was his mission. And Jesus said, I'd love to have you as part of my team, Paul. Wait a minute. My mission is stopping what you started. I'd love to have you be part of the team. Everybody's welcome. But that acceptance brings a change. And Paul, who was all about SWJS, becomes a team member. It doesn't, where, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Jesus says, I welcome you. I'd like to have you part of the team. The doorway in is not being perfect and having no flaws. The doorway in is admitting your flaws. Only those that don't admit their flaws cannot enter. That's pretty scary, right? Because we make a, a living out of hiding and pretending, don't we? We don't want people to see the flaws. Um, a friend of mine calls me every Friday morning at 6.30 when I'm driving to my small group, every Friday morning. So this last Friday morning, he, he, he asked me questions like this every week. I, I kind of hate the guy, actually. Right? He asked me questions like, so Charles, hey, I was just thinking, I was talking to my group this way, I was just thinking, what in your life will you do anything to keep from going public? And what kind of question is that at 6.30 on a Friday morning? What in your life will you do almost anything to keep from going public? So I've lived with that for two days. Let me ask you. So what in your life will you do almost anything to keep from going public? I know you've got something. What is it? And how would you like if that was put on the side screen? Or better yet, how about if that was put on the center screen for the rest of the service? We've got like 20 minutes left. We'll just watch all your stuff that you don't want to go public. They're kind of nasty, right? That's the flaw part. We've all got it. We've all got the same problem. Everybody can come. Everybody is accepted, but the way in is admitting your flaws, admitting those things that mess you up, admitting your problem. That's what keeps you. It's not having the flaws. It's not admitting the flaws that keeps you. I visit, I uh, frequent, I should say, I frequent Casey's Saloon in Hatfield. You may not know Casey's because Casey's is kind of a high-end joint. They don't let riffraff like you in. <laughs> I go to Casey's fairly regularly, and uh, one of the things you have to know about Casey's is um, they have TVs, you know, kind of like a sports bar all around the room, but they don't have those high-definition flat-screen things. They got the giant boob tube TVs, right? And, uh, you know, I sit maybe 15, 20. I, I can't see a high-definition screen if I'm too far away. There's no shot I'm seeing anything on the boob tube, right? And so I'll be watching a game. and squint. What's the score? What, I'm asking people. To, when I go home and look at my TV, I'm, like, amazed, right? Look, I mean, I don't even have, what's the new one, 4K? I don't even have that. I got a high def, and I'm amazed. Look, I can see the floorboards in the basketball game. Wow. I can see the faces of the guy. I can see the seams on the bait. Well, not really. I, I can see all the details. I can see the score crystal clearly. Here's the point. We often go through life viewing our flaws as if they were on a boob tube. And Jesus says, if you're coming, 
you've got to view your flaws in high definition. If you don't view your flaws in high def, you'll never come. But if you view them in high def, you'll know you've got a problem and you will come. So the first part is acceptance. Jesus says, anybody can come. Hey, Luke, you can come. Mark, you deserter, you can come. Paul, you persecutor, you can come. Timothy, you worry wart, you can come. Everybody can. But the entrance requires admission. Admitting that you're flawed. Can you do that? If you can't do it, you can't come. Well, we have one last point, and that's change. Jesus touches and changes all who come to him. Jesus never leaves the same, those that he touches. And so everybody is accepted, and you come admitting your flaws. But once you come, there will be change. So, for example, Paul the Pharisee, persecutor, becomes Paul the preacher. That's a change, by the way, right? Timothy goes from being a worrywart and timid to being courageous and the leader of the church in Ephesus. Mark goes from being a mama's boy who deserts the team to being someone who's a co-worker and helpful to Paul. And Luke goes from someone who doesn't know God, who's investing in his career, to being someone who takes his career and says, God, whatever you want to do with this, it's yours. That's change. So here's my question for you. What would you pray for if you knew God would give you whatever you prayed for? What would you pray for if you knew God would grant your prayer request? Physical health, because you have an illness, a malady, or a problem of some kind? Marriage, because you really want to be married. Restoration in a relationship with a child or a parent. Anxiety or depression to be healed so you live with confidence and poise. Maybe for finances. Maybe for a job because you've been out of work. You're looking and things are really getting painful. What would you pray for? Well, I've got a, a good verse for you, which is a principle of the gospel, and we see it all over 2 Timothy. Here's a theme of the whole Bible. A question. So here's the question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now that shows up all the way back in Genesis. And in a sense, that's one of the themes of 2 Timothy. Think about it. When Paul showed up at Lystra, Timothy's hometown, don't you think a few of the people scratched their Isn't this the guy that was rounding up all the Christians, taking them, in, taking them in for trial and execution? Now he's here like preaching. the. Can God do that stuff? Or maybe Timothy, Timothy, you were like a worrywart, scared to death about everything. Now you're like standing boldly before people and proclaiming this message with great confidence. Can God do that? Mark, you deserted the team when the going got rough, and now you're helpful to Paul. And like Paul's, you know, he's a varsity kind of apostle, right? Now you're helpful to him? Is that possible? Sure it is. That's a theme that runs through the Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer would be no. So let's try that. I'll ask you answer. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. It was semi. Let's try it again. Anything too hard for the Lord? No. no, it's not. Now, the first time that that question gets asked and answered is in the context of the story of Abraham and Sarah. Some of you know that story. 
Now here's the story. God shows up to Abraham and Sarah and says, okay guys, I'm going to bless the whole world through you two. You're going to have a kid, and that kid is going to bless the whole world. There was one problem. When God told them that and gave them that promise, Abraham was 75, and Sarah was 65. And they'd look at each other and say, what? Ten years go by, nothing. God shows up again. Telling you guys, I'm going to bless the whole world. And they're thinking, I think this is too hard for the Lord. And God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I'm guessing they're saying, maybe not anything, but this thing, this is too hard for the Lord. Sarah even laughs in God's face. God says, Sarah, this time next year, right? you're going to be 90 years old. You're going to, you're going to have a son. And she laughs. You'd laugh too, right? How many cribs have you ever seen in a geriatric ward? <laughs> when people are shopping, like at, you know, shopping at Walmart, how many carts have Pampers and Depends in the same cart? <laughs> Everybody in the house eats strained strain vegetables because nobody has teeth, right? Oh, yeah, but at that time next year, Abraham and Sarah had a son. And just to make the point, God says, okay, guys, I want you to name the kid Laughter. <laughs> so every time you call him for dinner, you'll remember nothing is too hard for the Lord. Now that theme then picks up speed and runs through the whole Bible, and we see it echo in 2 Timothy. So let me ask you. What is it in your life? What was your prayer request? What is it in your life that you look at and say, I think that's too hard for the Lord. You know what? You need, you need more power, right? You need more power. This is the time of the year in which we do, well, somebody does, uh, tree trimming and clipping. So uh, I was thinking through the process. Not that I ever do it, but I was thinking through the process. Suppose you have to cut off some little twigs, right? Well, you, you get those little nippers or whatever they are, right? I don't own them, but you, you may have seen that. You go out and you kind of clip the little, but suppose you have to cut a pretty big branch off the tree, maybe an inch and a half on that. You're not going to take those little nippers, right? You send your wife into the garage to get the little saw, right? She comes out with the saw, and so you saw the branch off. Well, suppose it's not just the little twigs you're nipping off, and it's not the saw you're taking off. The, suppose the whole tree's got to come down, and the trunk is like this big around. Do you take the saw? My goodness, you'd work up a sweat. Your hands would be all kind of blistered. You need a chainsaw for that job, right? And you saw it off as close to the ground as you can because, you know, you want to do something out in the green. You don't want to trip over the trunk all the time, right? And you get it as close to it as you can, but you still have like 10 inches of trunk sticking out of the ground. So do you take your chainsaw? And it's not going to work, right? You see, each step of the way, you need a little more power, right? When you go from a twig to a branch, you need more power so you get a saw. When you want to cut the tree down, you need more power so you get a chainsaw. When you cut the tree down, you need to get a stump out, you need more power. You need one of those stump removers, right? I was golfing the other day, and the guy had one of those stump removers. He wasn't even working up a sweat. He's standing on the side of the thing working the little lever like this, right? He's got a little helmet on because of OSHA, I guess, and little goggles, and, and he got this big blade, and it's making sawdust out of the tree stump as it's cutting, and he's just going, mm, 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 mm. 
And before he left, I went over to check it out. There's a pile of sawdust that now becomes mulch, and the stump is gone. Any limbs in your life that have to be uh, nipped off? Branches? Any whole trees have to come down? Any stumps have to be removed? Can I tell you? You need more power than you've got to get rid of them. Those stumps are not going to go by willpower, self-help, self-effort, more discipline, more Bible reading. It's not going to happen. How's it going to come? It's going to come when you trust Jesus rather than yourself to bring that transformation and change in your life. And it's not coming with your prayer request giving Jesus the agenda for the day. It's basically coming and saying, hey, Jesus, what do you want to grow in my life? What do you want removed from my life? When God went to Abraham and Sarah, he didn't say, so what do you guys want? I'll give you anything you want. He went and said, no, 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 you guys faithfully follow me, and I will grow in your life what I want grown, and I'll eliminate what I want eliminated. That's where the power comes. Acceptance. Flawed change. There are three themes of the good news, friends. That's the change. That's the perspective. That's the acceptance that we continue when we follow him. So what's required? What does Calvary Church need? Here's what Calvary Church needs. I'll tell you. Have you ever wondered? Every, every once in a while, people are, so Charles, what, it seems like you guys have everything. What do you need? I'll tell you what we need. We need some flawed, messed up, screwed up people. That's, what we, that's where you all come in. All right, that's where you all come in. We need some flawed, messed up people who take the courageous step of building relationships integrity with their screwed up, flawed friends and inviting them into their lives and seeing that the power source comes from admitting your flaws and entrusting yourself to Jesus. That's what we need. We don't need people that pretend and pompously live as if they're better than everybody else. We need people that are amazed at their acceptance with God, that regularly admit their flaws and ask Jesus what he wants to change in their life. That's what we need. And if you want to sign up for that job, you take that little sticker and you stick it somewhere to remind yourself that we're here on a mission. And that mission does not have me in the center. That mission has Jesus in the center. And what I do here has to orbit and center around him. Join me as we pray. Father, we give you thanks for the change that we see represented in the letter of 2 Timothy, for the dramatic change that you brought in Paul, the dramatic change that you brought in Timothy, the change that you brought in Mark, the change that you brought in Luke. And Lord, I thank you that as I look out over, over this auditorium, I see change that you've brought in lots and lots of people. Well, Lord, help us never to forget. It's Jesus that accepts. It's Jesus that opens our eyes to the flaws. And it's Jesus that produces the change. This is not a self-disciplined, self-help treadmill we get on. This is acknowledging that Jesus is right, seeking to follow him, and as we do, continue what he started until one day he welcomes us home. Thanks for that privilege. 
and that responsibility. In Christ's name.